Good morning, church. This morning we're starting a new sermon series about the fruit of the Spirit. When I planned this out six months ago, I had a different vision of how this sermon series would go. But here we are with a camera and a podcast and a congregation mostly out in the world. And here we are with a virus and riots and an upcoming political election. The circumstances are always different. And yet the message of Scripture remains unchanged. And this message for us is more important than ever. The world is starving for the Spirit and the influence of Christ to permeate it. They are desperate for the goodness and the beauty of God to establish His kingdom on earth. The ancient lessons of Galatians 5 are as essential now as they ever were before. So read with me this morning those very familiar words, that familiar list from Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The most powerful word in the New Testament is agape. It is love, legitimate love, the real deal, the kind of love that sacrifices and serves, that endures and delights. It is a word that, even though it is ancient, rarely appears in any other ancient Greek literature. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack when you read the secular masters. And yet it appears in the New Testament 320 times. It's an important word and an important concept for any Christian to understand. Scripture is founded on this word because agape signifies the root core of God's very own character. It says, I love you when you are not very lovable. Agape is the, is the cross of Jesus Christ, extending its arms to embrace all humanity. Agape love is love when it's not always convenient and when it's not always reciprocated. It extends to both the, the deserving and the undeserving, the friend and the enemy. And there are a lot of stories that can give example of what this kind of love looks like in the real world. But I'm partial to a story by Nikos Kanzanzakis. Nikos was a Greek author. You may know him. He was a giant in literature. He was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature nine times. And in his memoir, he told the memory, before having become famous, of being homeless on his home island of Crete. And this moment became a defining one in his, in his life and a defining one in his faith. And this is what he says. I knew that no matter what door you knock on, in a Cretan village, it will be opened for you. A meal will be served in your honor, and you will sleep between the best sheets in the house. In Crete, the stranger is still the unknown God. Before him, all doors and all hearts are open. Night had already begun to descend as I entered the village. The doors were all shut in the courtyard, and the dogs had caught the intruder's scent and begun to bark. Where should I go? At which door should I knock? Of course, at the priest's home, where all strangers find refuge. The priests in our village are uncultivated, their education meager, 
They are incapable of any theoretical discussion of Christian doctrine. But Christ lives in their hearts, and sometimes they see him with their eyes, if not by the pillow of a wartime casualty, then sitting beneath a flowering almond tree in springtime. And a door opened, and a little old woman came out with a lamp in her hand to see who the stranger was who had entered the village at such a late hour. I stopped. Long may you live, madam, I said, sweetening my voice so that she would not be frightened. I am a stranger and have nowhere to sleep. Would you be so kind to direct me to the priest's house? Gladly. I'll hold the lamp so you won't stumble. God, his holy name be blessed, gave soil to some and stone to others. Our lot was the stones. Watch your step and follow me. She led the way with the lamp. We turned a corner and arrived at a vaulted doorway, a lantern hanging outside. This is the priest's house, said the old woman. Lifting the lamp, she threw the light on my face inside, like she was going to say something, but changed her mind. Thank you, fine madam, I said. Sorry to bother you. Good night. She kept looking at me, not going away. If you wouldn't mind a poor house, you could come and lodge with me. But I already knocked at the priest's door, and I heard heavy steps in the yard. The door opened, and standing in front of me was an old man with a snow-white beard, long hair flowing down over his shoulders. Without asking me who I was or what I wanted, he extended his hand. Welcome, stranger. Come in. I heard voices as I, as I entered. Doors opened and closed, and several women slipped down hastily into adjoining rooms and vanished. The priest had me sit down on the couch. My wife is a little disposed. You'll have to excuse her, but I will cook for you and lay the table for your supper and prepare a bed so that you can sleep. His voice was heavy and afflicted. I looked at him. He was extremely pale, and his eyes were swollen and inflamed as though from weeping. But no thought of mis misfortune ever occurred to me. I slept, and in the morning the priest came and brought me a tray of bread, cheese, and milk. I held out my hand, thanked him, and said goodbye. Bless you, my son, and Christ be with you. I left. And at the edge of the village, I saw another older man. He placed his hand over his breast and he greeted me. Where did you spend the night, son? He asked. At the priest's house. Ah, the poor fellow. Did you catch wind of anything? What was there to catch wind of? His son died yesterday morning. His only son. Couldn't you hear the women lamenting? I heard nothing. Nothing. Well, they had him in the inner room. They must have muffled their cries to keep you from hearing and being disturbed. Pleasant journey. It was then that I realized the sweetening blossom, being a true one of God, could have on the soul. And my eyes filled with tears for the old couple. An act of simple, selfless sacrifice. The Marks of agape love the spirit makes blossom in the heart of christians and makes them living examples of god in the world scripture calls these living examples of the spirit's activity fruit and they are called love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control these nine fruit are the essential qualities of God 
that have begun to develop and will come to full maturity in my life and yours. You cannot separate these, each into different fruits or different trees. They are connected inherently to one another. Imagine these fruits to be like a, a cluster of grapes, ripening together. And there are nine, but there is one that is superior to the others. It is the beginning and the end, the descriptor and the definer of each of the others, and it is love. Dennis Clark wrote it this way. Notice that the word fruit is singular. Love is one fruit. In Galatians 5, 22-23, the love of God is described as one fruit with nine different expressions. One fruit, love. And joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love caring. Goodness is love motivating. Faithfulness is love trusting. Greatness, gentleness is love esteeming others. Self-control is love restraining. But each fruit is love. And I want you to stop and think about how often in this world and in this church and in the family of believers in your own life do you see this fruit on display where you see real god influence spirit given agape love it's rare it is very rare and i was thinking about how rare it is and when i came across an interview with a Disney animator by the name of Mark Henn. Over his career, he has drawn movies such as Frozen, The Little Mermaid, and Moana. And in a recent interview, he was talking about how believers at Disney, over the, the history of Disney, have found little places where they can put the sacrificial love of God into movies. And this is what he says. Clearly, as a Christian... Our greatest example of sacrificial love is, of course, Christ himself. And our culture has, in many cases, squashed the idea of sacrificial love, which is wrong. God has placed a desire for such love in all of us. It is a very profound kind of love that you don't see a lot in the world. You get glimmers of it and glimpses of it occasionally, but it's overlooked or poo-pooed in our culture and our world today. But I think people deep down has this desire, this drive to see this kind of love in them. God has placed it in them and to react to that kind of love. That kind of love where someone is willing to go to such an extreme to actually lay down their life for another human being. Folding that into a storyline I think is a very real and very deep emotion that a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, react to. And in Disney... You have Belle throwing herself at the mercy of the beast to save her father. You see Geppetto chasing after his boy, even into the mouth of a whale. You see Mufasa dying in a stampede to pull his son from danger. And my favorite example from the Jungle Book, at the end of the movie, with Baloo battling Shere Khan to protect Mowgli, and there is Baloo in the mud, as if dead, and Bagheera is eulogizing him, and he quotes, No greater love has any man than this to lay down his life for his friend. 
We need to expose the world to more examples of this kind of great love, living proof that God loves them in the same way. They don't see it enough. The world will not show it to them. That responsibility rests heavily on the shoulders of Christians as much as any. Disney has some great moments of sacrificial love, especially in the old movies. But let's not forget Jesus Christ's story. Romans 5.8 affirms this kind of love in him, this truth. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus reached down to us in love when we were the most unlovable, when there was absolutely nothing attractive or likable about us. He demonstrated his agape love by dying for us while we were still sinners. Jesus did not die for good people. He died for sinners. He died for his enemies. And he prayed for them as they drove the nails through his hands. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Church, this is the same kind of love that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you as well. And this is the same love that is being produced in you. I believe so. Fruit of the Spirit cannot be faked or fabricated by human beings. It is divine in origin only. If you do not have the Spirit, nothing you can do can truly grow these fruits in your soul. And if you do have the Spirit, the living Holy Spirit will produce in you Christ-like behavior and Christ-like love. It is not optional. And so this is a litmus test for your faith. If love is not growing in you, then you are not letting the Holy Spirit garden in your soul and you are killing the fruit of God that he's trying to grow in your heart. All true believers are expected, all true believers are commanded to live out agape love in their lives. You've got to have it if you want to belong to the Lord. So let's look at some of these verses. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 commands Christians, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly agape children, and walk in the way of agape, just as Christ agapes us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And Jesus himself commands in John 13, 34, agape one another. As I have agaped you, so you must agape one another. And the Apostle John reaffirms the same love that Jesus and Paul talked about in 1 John 3, 16-18. This is how we know what agape is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the agape of God be in you? Dear children, let us not agape with words or tongues, but in actions and in truth. The Spirit of God will transform the person. We can love through His power those that we do not have a natural liking to, attraction to, or affection for. We can love those with which we have no common interest. We can love those we dislike. Whatever the individual group or nation is, the reality is, for those who are being led by the Spirit and following the example of Christ, not only are we able to love ourselves and our families and our church family and the people who look just like us, we are able to love the worst 
with the very love of God. The Bible says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I want you to stop and think about who is your enemy? Who is your enemy right now? What individual raises your ire when you just think about them? What family do you ignore when you're unfortunate enough to cross paths? What politician makes you want to puke? What religion can you see no good in? What nation will always be the enemy of America? What color of person makes you feel unsafe? These things are not of God. We have God's spirit. He was able to pray for those actively murdering him. And we walk by the same power. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Thank goodness this kind of love does not stem or grow from us, our natural inclinations or our character. It is only from God. We just depend on him entirely for the goodness of God to shine through us into the world in love. One of the passages that my youth pastor insisted the entire youth group memorize is John chapter 15. And I'll go back to this passage multiple times throughout this sermon series because when we look at this great biblical metaphor of roots, branches, and fruit, this is the key passage. Today I'm going to read it in the message version. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you and the relationship is intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separate, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who's separate from me is dead wood, and it will be gathered up and thrown into a bonfire. This is how my Father shows who he is, when you produce fruit, and when you mature as my disciples. I want you to think about something as you're going into the next week. If the Holy Spirit, working in each one of us, will produce the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Christ. If love is growing in us, agape love, divine love, sacrificial love, then why does it feel so rare in the world? Shouldn't this be something that all Christians are showing, producing, a light in the world? But I agree with the Disney animator. It seems very rare. That kind of sacrificial love where we love truly, truly to the end of our lives, even to our enemies, that kind of love is so rare in the world. And I pray, I pray that each one of you spends their life letting the Spirit garden in them so that it does not become rare in your life and in this church and in our world. You know, there's goodness out there. I was remembering this week about this time where I was swinging on a rope 
out over uh, a river, Camp Barnabas, Purdy, Missouri. And he had to get out about 10 feet on this rope to get past the ground in the shallow water with the large boulders. Otherwise, you had a 15-foot drop onto rocks. And I'd swung out many times, but on this time, at the peak of my swing, as I was trying to let go, my wrist caught in the rope, and I was pulled fully horizontal, dropping with my back, heading straight for a very large rock. And I was looking down, trying to twist to get my legs under me, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to get turned around in time. All the other staffers jumped out of the way except for one, and in a second he pulled up his body onto that rock and wrapped his arms around it, and I hit his back with my back and rolled off. You know, to this day, I can't remember his name. I can't remember a single feature about him except for that image of his back. But I know that for someone that he had never met and would never meet again, he put his body in the way to take a very hard blow. And it was one of the greatest examples of sacrificial love I've ever experienced. And I know doubt, and there's no doubt in my mind he saved me from serious harm. You know, it doesn't have to be a great act. It doesn't have to be a Disney hero type of action. There is ample opportunity to love sacrificially every day. The world is full of need. Every moment has potential. You don't have to throw your body on a rock to save someone's life. You just got to find those small moments through which to love like Jesus would. Because the world is starving for fruit. They are withering away, church. They're starving. And you should be producing something in your life that the people of the world will look at and realize they have a desperate hunger for. The fruit of your love should be so great that those who do not have the Spirit will come to a realization that they are starving. And I hope that you take time to get into God and into Scripture and into prayer. Let the Spirit cultivate love in the garden of your soul. And let's be people who can show spirit fruit to the world.